0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, if you didn't know, it's Easter time, and that means Easter bargains. And I couldn't be happier to be letting you know about a 20% off deal that Navman currently has going just in time for Easter. Now, you may already be on that Easter holiday trip, that's okay. But if you are in the need for a dashcam, how about 20% off? And the code, simple promo code that I'm going to read out to you, is Easter. 23 E A S T E R 2 3, and you'll get 20% off all dash cams. That includes free shipping at navman.com.au. That's a cracker deal. And if I look at their most inexpensive model, the MyView 150 Safety, normal recommended retail price of $169, you take 20% off that. That's far less than $169. It's 10% is $16, 20% is $30. It's just a little un- over 100 bucks, and you'll get a s- sensational dash cam to get you started. Now, again, there is a huge range of dash cam models that you can get from Navman. One of my favorites, which I still need to put to, put to test, is the Outer Workmate. It's perfect for those work utes that you may be driving around. That's a $549 dash cam, which again, may feel expensive today. But at 20% off, suddenly, 10%, 10% of that would be... Maybe it's a hundred something dollars off. Now it gets it into the $400 price bracket and that could be just where you needed it to be before you make that purchase. Either way, head to the Navman website, navman.com.au. That 20% off deal at Easter 23 being the promo code goes up until midnight, Friday the 14th of April, 2023. So you've got plenty of time to shop around, but don't wait for too long. That is a limited deal 20% 20% off. Now, let's go. Tech expert Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now, it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quatromani. Jeff Quattramani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is that you are listening. Thank you for tuning into Australia's number one technology podcast. As I said in the introduction, my name is Jeff Quattromani. I'm feeling slightly better, and that means we're back on the wines this week. Uh, I have a bottle of Orlando wine. We had a couple, uh, an Orlando wine, I think two weeks ago. It was the Cabernet. We're now switching to Chardonnay. We're going from red to white. We're changing gears. Now, it is cooler weather, so normally white wines, you save it for the summer. But a Chardonnay to me is something that can be consumed in the winter. It's like the red wine of white wines. It's a bit thicker, it's a bit velvety, it's a little bit smoother, vanilla. There's a lot going on. Now, the Orlando Chardonnay is the more expensive type of Chardonnay that you might be finding in stores. This is around that $45 mark. So, again, special occasion type Chardonnay for most people, but it's a very, very lovely wine. And it's something that I've been consuming over the last few days, Uh, not necessarily something I would consume heavily. In one day, I'm not that heavy of a drinker, but it's something that has been lasting. You know, put it back in the fridge, you pour a glass and so on, and the flavor profile has not been cliffing uh, after a couple of days like some other wines do. It's actually still been enjoyable day on day until it's been fully consumed. But this latest model, or latest model, latest vintage uh, from Orlando has been absolutely exceptional. If you do uh, want to venture into white wines, maybe more of a red wine person, this is usually the starting point. It's the, as I said, it's the red wine of white wines. It's a bit hard to. Understand it's like the first time I had swordfish, they were like, This is the pork version of fish, it's the closest thing to pork in terms of its um, texture and, uh, and thickness. I guess, of swordfish. Now, was it swordfish or was it barramundi? Anyway, terrible example. Let's just get on with talking tech. That's something that we certainly know how to do on this show. Maybe not understanding fish profiles with pork, but uh, trust me, it's only the first glass of wine. But I will tell you that today we're going to talk about a number of things. Uh, there's been a bit going on in the news. I think I've spoken on radio in every state of the country, except for Northern Territory. Uh, Actually, even including Tasmania, I now have a regular spot with them at Chili FM. But there's been a lot going on. And the reason I've been talking so much on all these different radio stations is because the federal government did ban TikTok. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, probably towards the end of the show, Probably some more fun things first before we get all serious. Uh, Before that, we're going to talk about Netflix. We're going to talk about ChatGPT, scammers, irrigation of all things, actually sprinklers. Uh, the 2023 range of Samsung televisions. And then yes, we will get into the TikTok band. So if you're a parent, or if you're just concerned about TikTok, or maybe you just love TikTok and want to hear a different perspective on it, uh, I am not sponsored by TikTok in in any way, shape or form. Uh, We won't be holding back when it comes to talking about TikTok after we get through some of the news items. And without further ado, let's go and do that. Now, when it comes to Netflix, one of the things that we're realizing heavily this week is there are so many streaming services. I actually went through and did a count. Uh, I was shooting a segment for Sunrise, and they were wanting to talk about streaming services. And I like, okay, let's do that. There was around 30 streaming services, especially if you include all the free-to-air streaming services as well, like 7 Plus, 10 Play, and 9 Now, and so on. And Netflix really needs to bring their game. And one of the things that I read this week is they're definitely bringing their game, is in literally. Now, if you didn't know already, uh, Netflix has got games that you can download onto a smartphone or a tablet. The games are pretty good. Uh, I I played a couple when I was traveling overseas. I downloaded them ahead of time. And they're not too bad. You know, typical like Ridge Racer style games. You know, nothing out of of this world in terms of graphics or anything like that, but pretty good games for free. You know, you, you kind of enjoy them. Some of the games are skewed towards Netflix shows. So they've got some games that are more based around the TV shows that they have made or movies that they've made. But there is a, uh, I guess it's a rumor this week that says that the gaming apps will be coming to televisions. And what that means is that in your, on your smart TVs, in the app stores on your smart TVs, you'll actually have the chance to download these games onto the television. But how would that work? Would you use your TV remote control to you know, drive a car on, on your TV screen? No. The idea is, is that once you install the game on your TV, you would open up the game on your smartphone. And the smartphone or tablet would become the controller. So we're effectively talking about cloud gaming, using your, your, your smartphone's internet connection as the controller back to the television and driving, playing games, whatever it could be from Netflix um, on your smart TV. I think it's a brilliant idea, especially when we're, you know, not, not everyone can afford an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Nintendo Wii or a Switch or whatever it is. This is actually a really good alternative. So maybe you'll have gaming on your smart TVs from Netflix, of all people. Uh, I think it's sensational. One thing I did say in my uh, Sunrise interview, and you know, you, you speak sometimes for 10 minutes and literally 30 seconds ends up on the television. Um, one of the things I did mention is that we need streaming services like Netflix or Stan or whoever to become competitive in live sports. At the moment, live sports generally is still owned by the big players. You know, your Fox tells you free to airs. Imagine the day when Netflix says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to buy the rights to Formula One. And if you want to watch every Formula One race, you'll only be able to do it with a Netflix subscription. That would be game changing. And that's something we haven't seen yet is real live broadcasts being dominated or bought by streaming platforms. I think that's still is yet to come. I think that certainly will happen. And you can just imagine, imagine the NFL, imagine the Super Bowl, imagine Paramount Plus, Apple TV, imagine Apple TV, they've certainly got the money to do it. Apple says, you know what, NFL, we'll give you a billion bucks, $2 billion, whatever it is. We own the Super Bowl this year. If anyone wants to watch the Super Bowl, you'll have to have an Apple TV Plus subscription. Trust me how many people will be signing up to Apple TV Plus to watch that game. That's what will really be the game changer, I think, for the next streaming service. Yes, you can get streaming services for sports like KO, but that's you're obviously using traditional deals that have already been put in place for sport. I think that would be an interesting play for Netflix. Anyway, that may not appear on Sunrise when it does happen, but moving on. ChatGPT, we've spoken about that tool for a while. It's a, it's a tool that you can ask questions. You can get it to do things for you. You can get it to think on your behalf. You can literally get it to do whatever you like. It's like a very smart version of Google in that you're not just searching for an answer. It's giving you the answer in whatever format you chose for it to respond in. Italy, Sera, Italy they have decided to ban ChatGPT in the country over privacy concerns. I find this fascinating because A, if I ask ChatGPT anything, yes, there's a pretty good chance that my question to ChatGPT is being logged and it's potentially being looked at and that data would be harvested so they can understand the types of questions that are being asked of the tool and the types of responses that it's giving out. And especially if you mark the responses incorrect or you mark that there's an error, that's how these AI tools will learn. So where is the privacy concern? How many people in Italy are saying, hi, ChatGPT, my name is Jeff Quattromani. I live at XYZ address. My tax file number is XYZ. My credit card details are XYZ. Um, can you write an essay for me? Like, how, if, how are people in Italy using ChatGPT that they are so concerned that they're giving too much away that it becomes a privacy concern? If Google is not a privacy concern and that you can, you know, ask it whatever question you like, why, is, why do I have a rash on my elbow? Then how is it different with ChatGPT? I think it's a very weird move. And I think what Italy is doing is they're just a little nervous. They're certainly nervous about the, the hype around artificial intelligence. They're nervous at some of the exceptions that we've seen play out with artificial intelligence in how it's starting to think for itself or how it potentially uh, gives incorrect answers or misleading information. I get there's concerns. But are they privacy concerns? I don't quite understand that. Now, when I spoke about this again uh, on a few radio stations this week, people said it's unbelievable that Italy would ban it, of all countries in the world to ban it. Well, yeah. But I had to make sure that people on air, that those listening, including you, dear listener, are aware that China's not necessarily sorry, Italy's not necessarily the first country to ban it. You can't get to most of the internet from China or Iran. There's a number of countries in this, on this planet that doesn't allow typical access to the internet or web, news websites or especially ChatGPT. Italy is one of the first Western countries to ban access to ChatGPT. So I wanted to be clear on that. This ChatGPT is not something that anyone in China is really aware of. That's a very foreign thing. You try and go to that website, uh, nah, that doesn't exist. You try and go to newyorktimes.com from China, mm-mm, doesn't exist. <laughs> like. Let's not pretend that Italy's getting all crazy. I'm not defending the Italians here, but let's just be clear. They're not the first crazies, you know. There's a couple of other crazies out there. Now, speaking of artificial intelligence, this was something I really, really wanted to touch on. And it's an important one because all of us uh, would receive a scam email at some point in our lives or day or hour. I tend to receive them more and more every day. There is a lot. Uh, Scam SMSs have certainly dropped off for me, especially as I've moved to the Google Pixel, which is blocking so many of those, but one of the telltale signs of receiving a scam email is poor grammar, bad English, um, if, that's the right, if that's the right English that I'm even using, um, and sometimes even spelling mistakes. You can usually read these emails and it's like, dear sir, I am Nigerian prince to sell you money. And you're going, this doesn't seem legitimate. You know, I don't know any Nigerian princes and now they're trying to sell me money? Terrible English on my behalf. However, scammers are going to get smarter, and it's going to be very, very clear as you start to understand this. ChatGPT being the key example here where I can generate text. I could go into ChatGPT today and ask it to generate a Nigerian scam email. Maybe not necessarily in those words, but I could ask it to do a lot of the typing for me. So if I wasn't very good at the English language, ChatGPT certainly is, and I could get it to choreograph and craft an email that speaks exactly the way I want it to speak, and I could copy and paste that into my scam email system and blast that out to the world. That is certainly going to start to catch people out. The obvious mistakes, if they're no longer there, will mean we need to pay more attention to other things. And I really do believe that as ChatGPT and other AI tools get better and better, so too will the scams. As much as we've enjoyed using these tools for our own benefit, such as writing assignments and things like that, scammers are going to heavily use it too. Now, if you also think about the voice generators that we have with artificial intelligence now, scammers are certainly going to be used that for the phone calls that they make to you. It won't sound like a person who's in an offshore call center in a bunker. It might sound just like someone you know. It might sound like a celebrity, a familiar voice, and that will certainly again help scam people. So we do need to start thinking about this. That now, it might not necessarily be what you read or what you hear or how you hear it or what, how you read it. It may need to be even deeper than that into how we get smarter into what is a scam and identifying those. So again, something we're going to pay a lot of attention to. I'll be speaking about this probably a little bit more because I know um, not just on radio and, and on TV, but I know that this is going to be a bigger and bigger topic. Scammers will get, continue to get smarter. The goalposts continue to change. It's my job. To make sure that you're aware and that you make other people aware of how to identify these scams and how to pay more attention to them. Very quick one from me I love to look at the from address. I like to really pay attention to the email address that it was sent from. Have a look at that, and you can usually pinpoint that it's not a real uh, NAB or Australia Post email address. And at the same time, if you hover over the links that are in the emails, you can usually see that they don't actually go to the Australia Post website or similar. So there's a couple of other things that are going to be obvious. But again, just reading the text is not always going to do it. So we need to pay attention to that one. Now, something I paid attention to this week. Now, we don't talk about sprinklers on this show often enough, but sprinklers, they're getting smart. There is a company called Irrigreen, I R R I G R E E N. Irrigreen, like irrigation and irrigreen combined, green and whatever. This company has taken the pop up sprinkler and made it intelligent. Now, how on earth can a pop-up sprinkler be intelligent? It's not just connected to the internet. No, 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 no. It's not just something you can turn on and off with your phone. I mean, you can do that, but that's not the feature. The feature here is anyone who knows a pop-up sprinkler or has a pop-up sprinkler knows that it's usually a sprinkler that can rotate. Maybe it can go 180 degrees. Maybe it can go 360 degrees, depending on how you've geared that sprinkler to spray. Generally, when you turn your sprinklers on, it might shoot up to two meters away, maybe more, whatever, and it just goes in a motion left to right, right to left, left to right, and so on. Now, your garden within that field of spray may not only have grass there, you may have a footpath, you may have an alfresco area, you might have hard surfaces. You don't necessarily want to water those hard surfaces, but because the spray simply goes that direction, inevitably, it's going to get wet. It's a waste of water. And Ira Green has realized that. So their sprinklers, their new smart sprinklers, can see and detect those hard surfaces, or those obstacles that you actually don't want to be watering. And as a result, it increases and decreases the spray accordingly. So as it's motioning its way across, it actually pulls itself back, pulls itself forward to make sure that it only waters the soft areas, such as your grass, your gardens, your trees. That's pretty smart. Now in America, this is actually a big deal because they've got a lot of water restrictions at the moment, and obviously when there's restrictions or when there's a challenge in place, technology tries to play a role to fix it. That's exactly what's happening with this irrigreen system, is it's making sure that if you're going to pour 100 gallons of water out a day, you're going to make sure you get it in the right places. You don't want it on your footpath because it's going to be a mess. So I think that's a fantastic thing. The other thing it obviously does, as we've seen with smart watering systems, not necessarily within the sprinkler itself is weather monitoring and that means that if it rained yesterday it doesn't need to water the grass today and if it's still wet it won't water the grass the day after that either so that's a really nice thing obviously it's been a really hot day then maybe it will water the grass additionally uh weather weather monitoring is very important in any watering system or any gardening system that you do have Um, and this is something that's built into that as well but this idea of adjusting increasing decreasing pressure i just thought was fascinating I haven't seen something like that before that can actually detect where the hard surface and soft surfaces are. It's a brilliant idea. Apparently, it's using mapping that we've currently been seeing in robot vacuums and things like that, being able to detect distance, being able to detect the type of surface that that it is spraying on. And I think that's just genius. So when I looked at the demonstration from EraGreen, they talked about if you've got X amount of sprinklers with all these different restrictions at the moment, with these, you could then put them all into 360 degrees, meaning you have less sprinklers. And it actually means that you can actually get better coverage closer to all of the edges, making sure it covers the entire garden without any gaps. And I thought this was just a very, very smart idea. So if you're about to do a whole new irrigation system, maybe check out what Ira Green is doing. Now, after this, let's start talking about Samsung's 2023 lineup of TVs I know that some of you have already started to purchase TVs from last year, and it's a very, very good idea. Trust me, you can get some cracker deals, as we've already heard listeners talk about that. But let's talk about the new lineup of TV from Samsung, uh, and then we'll jump into the detail behind TikTok's band. Now, all of these televisions that we're about to talk about from Samsung, I saw myself when I was at CES in Las Vegas in January. Uh, these televisions from from Samsung are the duck's nuts when it comes to what they're going to be offering this year. Their entire range has been advanced in some shape or form. And yes, from 2022, they are better. However, they are incremental changes. And I'm very, very clear every year when we talk about this, no one's buying a new TV every year. No one's regretting their purchase from 2022 when I start to talk about these TVs. But some of the areas that I want to touch on could help shape your thinking when you are shopping around for a new TV. Now, 2023 is certainly seeing a couple of things. One, TVs are getting bigger, as in bigger and more affordable. And that's the key here is of the same size at, at a certain price, you're getting more this year than you could last year. Now, I think it was a couple of years ago, I went into the city and I, and I tested um, one of Samsung's new TVs in a hotel room. They had it set up so I could just turn up to the hotel Spend the night watching TV and enjoying their new television. It was a $14,000 TV and it was around the 85 inch mark. This year, the top of the line television from Samsung, the most expensive TV that you can possibly buy from Samsung this year, is $12,500. So it tells you a couple of things that big TVs are getting lower in price, the quality is improving, the picture quality is getting better, and the Pixels are getting more refined. We're talking about 8K televisions again this year. Uh, There is a range of 8K and 4K TVs from Samsung. Literally, at almost any price point, I'm seeing something that you could be jumping into. So if you've got $1,700 to spend, you can still get a QLED television. Now, QLED is one of the premium brands from Samsung. It's one of the premium levels. So QLED 4K, 55-inch Samsung recommended retail price of $1,729. If your budget is still within that 4K QLED area, I'm talking about like as in bottom of the range QLED, which is still Mercedes, um, 85 inch, 85 inch, big, like big TV, 85 inch 4K QLED TV starts from $4,619. $4,500 will get you an 85 inch QLED television from Samsung 2023 model. That tells you a lot about how much prices have come down. And it shows you why Samsung and other brands have been saying that big TVs are in this year because they're certainly more affordable. If a 75-inch TV is only what you could squeeze into your living room, which is still so big, I have a 75-inch TV and I still think it's big, um, $2,889, and this is recommended retail. This is before it lands on a retail shelf and they put their own deals around it. This is their base price. Now, there are multiple tiers within QLED where you've got the Q60, the Q70, the Q85, and even the QN90 there are different variations all within those sizes where you have additional features such as different levels of HDR, different levels of, of viewing angles and things like that, where there is incremental benefits along that tree. But again, when you bring that one TV home, you only have one thing to look at. Life is pretty good at that point. So what can I tell you here? 8K, again, is continuing to become more affordable. 8K televisions 65 inch now start from seven and a half thousand dollars. That sounds like a lot. I get it. Trust me, I get it. But at 65 inches with 8K, the upscaling on that TV will blow your mind. It's something that I've been very impressed by. I have a 75 inch 8K television, and the upscaling is astronomical. Again, I think I've mentioned this before, time and time and again. My Netflix subscription is now down to the HD level, and the upscaling has been so good. On a 75-inch 8K TV that I have not noticed. I still see the strands of hair. I still see the detail in the picture. It's, it's, it's very surprising to me how good upscaling technology is in televisions these days and that's one of the key points. So the entire Samsung range can really be from a QLED level from $1,700 all the way up to $12,500. But what you have to focus on is where Value and price comes into play, and that's something you should always consider. How big do I want the TV to be? What kind of picture quality do I want? And what's my budget? Ideally, you do the budget piece first, and then you start to figure out how you massage those two other variables. Because if you increase the size, you generally increase the cost. But if you increase the quality, that increases the cost. If you increase both of those, you land in that twelve and a half thousand dollar TV. So you do need to have some give or take to find that sweet spot that suits you. But from 55 inch up to 85 inch, you can certainly get. QLED TVs. In fact, there's a 43-inch QLED as well um, at two, thousand three hundred, which seems a bit odd. I mean, they're clearly pushing you to not get that because at seventeen twenty nine, you get a fifty five inch of a different tier. However, this year also sees Samsung pushing into OLED. Now, OLED is LG's game. That's their football field. They've been dominating that for a very long time. I think a decade. But but Samsung is now swinging in, swinging in jumanji style or jungle book style whatever it is they're swinging in with their oled televisions and they're doing it with a few models they're going in two tiers there's they're both 4k there's no 8k oled uh but there's two tiers and it's the s90 and the s95 again there'll be some slight different picture quality variables between the two however the base model at 55 inches that's an oled television you're looking at three thousand eight hundred and twenty nine dollars at that price point, it is very important that you are price comparing that to an LG. Again, when you step into a store and you look at both of them side by side, as I hope you might be able to do, you may make that decision based on what you see in front of you. Price will certainly play a factor as well. Now, I always get this question, should I get an OLED or should I get a QLED? Which one, which one should I get? The same thing with any brand. Well, LG have, have both options as well. They have LED or mini LED and they have OLED. My answer, as always, is this. If you have a home theater or a room that's regularly dark or you all only watch TV at nighttime, OLED is a fantastic option. It will look better. It will certainly produce better blacks. If you enter your movies, you're going to be blown away at the picture quality. But if you watch TV with any natural light coming into the room or if you watch TV with a window behind you or if there is natural light coming into the, into the room for whatever reason, maybe you've got, a, I don't know, skylights in the lounge room or something like that, you need to go mini-LED or QLED or non-OLED is basically what I'm saying. But if you've got that home theater, a lot of homes these days are being built with a home theater inside. OLED makes a lot of sense and will look stunning. But when you've got glare, when you've got a lot of natural light, uh, mini-LED contains that brightness just to overcome it. It won't have the same blacks or depth of color like an OLED TV will, but that's the difference you've you've got to make. So spend your money wisely. Plenty of choices. We are spoiled for choice now. But certainly what I can say is that big is better this year. And uh, the only other point I'll make here before we move on to the next topic from Samsung is their OLED size tops out at 77 inches. You can't get into the 80s with an OLED. Uh, I think LG maybe does an LG. I think they do an OLED in 85. Anyway, Samsung OLED, 77 inches, $9,299. Um, it would be the best home theater TV you could probably get from Samsung. That's that simple to say. Now, let's get into some news from TikTok. Um, I don't know why I say it like that. But let's get into some news from TikTok about Australian government's ban on the application. All right, now this week, um, you know, things hit the fan. All sorts of things. All the ticks and all the tocks hit the fan as the Australian federal government uh, decided to come out and say that they will ban TikTok. On government devices, following fears the app's security is compromised and the platform could be used for foreign interference by China. That is one way to make my phone ring, or my email light up, or my Twitter DMs go nuts. I seriously know that news has broken highly when all those three things start to happen. Now, let me unpack this a little bit before we all quickly delete TikTok from our phones. The Australian government has decided to remove or ask people to remove the app from government issued devices. Now, the main reason that I can ascertain as to why that would be is because TikTok does pay attention to your location. Yes, TikTok also asks for access to your contacts, it asks for um, access to your camera roll and things like that. And a lot of those things are actually to make sure the app can function. If you want to post a video to TikTok, it needs access to your photo library. If you want to Share or connect with friends on TikTok, it needs access to your contacts. Now, in saying that, access to your contacts could be used for nefarious reasons. TikTok could be harvesting your contacts and using it to their own pleasure, sharing it with the Chinese government. In the same way, it could be looking at your additional photos that you're not actually posting on TikTok, it could just be harvesting those and looking at your selfies from last weekend. But the location piece is probably the reason why the Australian government has decided to ban it on government-issued devices. Because if I was Anthony Albanese and I had TikTok on my phone, potentially, and this is all hypothetical, potentially the Chinese government could ask ByteDance, which is the owner of TikTok, to provide that location information to the Chinese government. And that, in a sense, could allow the Chinese government to pay attention to wherever Anthony Albanese goes. Now, in saying that as well, most smartphones will let you know when an app is continually lo- using your location. If it is just polling every five minutes, you might be able to get a read of where somebody is, but live tracking is something that you're usually aware of if the app is doing it. But potentially, that's the advice that the government got, and they said, you know what, it's just not worth the risk, Albo. Just don't have the app on your phone, please. And he said, okay, fine, if I can't have it, no one can have it. But then it gets a little confusing because it's been only issued as a concern for government-issued devices. Now, if that was really a concern, then why isn't it actually a problem for personal devices? Maybe Albo has a burner phone. Maybe he has a secondary phone. Work, work phone in the left pocket, personal phone in the right pocket. That's the number he gives to his friends. The other one is the one that people call him on for political reasons. If he has TikTok on his personal phone, guess what? You've just removed the whole benefit of not having it on your work phone in the first place. If location was a concern, they're still going to get it. They're still going to get it on the other phone. Yes, it means that the contact list might be different because you might not have, I don't know, the, well, not the queen's number, the king's number. Now, you might have you know, King Charles, you might have him in your contact list and suddenly that's being shared with, with TikTok and China, but on your personal phone, it's just your wife and kids contacts in there and maybe you're less concerned. That's really the only benefit. And then we take it a little bit further, that it's only actually for the federal government. State governments have to make up their own minds. Is it a concern for them? I don't know. You, they have to decide. Is the Premier of New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, and so on, they are allowed to have it on their government-issued devices? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. If we're actually concerned about this application, A, why is it only for federal government? B, why isn't it for the general public? And C, which I think is the most important of all factors here, is why aren't they telling us? Now, I am no um, sympathizer. I, I couldn't care less if this app was banned tomorrow. But what we need from the Australian government is transparency on this. I am fully supportive of the Australian government coming out with a recommendation that the application is removed from the Google and Apple Play Store or App Store. I'm completely supportive of that. However, if you want to do that, you have to tell us why. And in in the same example of having the ban in place for your own teams or your own people, why? Because I'm sure there's a lot of Australian CEOs out there. Gina Reinhart, I don't know, the CEO of Medibank, the CEO of whatever company, major company in Australia, wouldn't they like to also know the government concerns with the application to make sure that they too feel safe or that they too feel like they can or cannot have the application on their phone? I understand that organizations can make up their own mind, but at the same time, where's the transparency gone? When Optus or Medibank was hacked, the government demanded transparency. They demanded that they open their books. They actually even open their doors and let the federal government inside to try and help them and unpack this criminal activity that was going on. If TikTok is being nefarious, if they're doing the wrong thing, if they're doing something that's posing a national security risk. Why wouldn't you explain the details so that we can all be aware of it, A, protect ourselves, but B, support the decision? I'm all for bans. I'm all for it. Just tell me why. When the government banned Huawei from being part of our 5G infrastructure, our 4G future infrastructure, and even the NBN infrastructure, it was a big deal because they were already supplying infrastructure to a lot of mobile networks already. So you took Huawei away. And gave again no evidence as to why. I even asked, and you will f- if you scroll back heavily on this podcast show, you'll see my interview with the communications minister at the time, Paul Fletcher. I asked him point blank, where is the evidence? And he refused to answer that question and said, look, there is evidence, but we won't be revealing it and you won't be seeing it and we can move on to the next question. It was that simple. The same question needs to be asked here. No problem if the government thinks that this is not a safe app for people to have on their phones, but tell us why. Tell us what you've un- unpacked that nobody else seems to have unpacked. Now, I know a lot of other government departments in, on earth are starting to make this issue as well. But they're not issuing it for their own people. They're just issuing it for themselves. I would love to know what, ac- what actually is happening. My comment to a lot of people this week has been that TikTok doesn't necessarily have more access to your phone than Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. A lot of those applications ask for the same thing. They ask access to your contacts. They ask access to your photo library, your location, uh, a lot of it for good reason. Heck, a lot of these applications ask access to your microphone, because if you like to record audio, it kind of needs it. They ask access to your camera. And we say yes. We say no problem. The difference here is whether we are sharing that data with American companies or Chinese companies. And clearly, the concern is Chinese companies, and there are good reasons for that, and there are sometimes no good reason for that. Sometimes the fear is unwarranted, sometimes it is. And I think it's just, again, up to the government to maybe tell us what the heck is going on and why it's a concern. That's my only thought around TikTok. In saying that, I can tell you that the banning of TikTok and the news and the drama that's caused in my house from having to take all these extra radio calls has actually led to people I know now wanting to download TikTok to see what the fuss is all about. So maybe TikTok will see a couple of things happen. They'll see. I don't know, 50 federal politicians remove it from their phone, but maybe they'll also see a hundred thousand other people in Australia install it because they're realizing this sounds kind of cool. What is it? Why should I care? And what are these dancing videos I keep hearing about? That is the podcast for this week, ladies and gentlemen. You've been amazing. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. I am back. My voice is back. My sniffles are gone and this glass of wine is empty. I'll speak to you again next week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.